What's happening? This is Ryan with The Scale-Up Show. I have Ori Karen on today, who's the founder and CEO of Linear B. Something really cool that I enjoyed is he's approaching a billion-dollar valuation, has a co-founder that's like 5,000 miles away, made it happen. Very interesting journey on that. And then one of the things we talk about in, in depth is you know, how to know when to get stubborn versus or I should say how to push through or pivot when it comes to your go-to-market strategy after you have product market fit. So some really cool insights. He's an AI company as well. Um, I hope you enjoy it like I did. Uh, feel free to check it out. How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to the Scale Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley, and I have a very special guest with me today. I have Ori Karen. He is the founder and CEO of Linear B. At 42, he co-founded the company in 2019. It's a leader in software delivery management solutions. Something really cool is they raised $71 million for a Series B in May of 22. Uh, and on top of it, too, he, uh, as well as his co-founder, we're the first remote co-founders moving towards a billion-dollar valuation. One, he lives in, or he lives in Tel Aviv. His co-founder lives in Santa Monica. So, really, really unique way in terms of the road space of creating a very big company fast. Ori, welcome. Happy to have you on the show, man. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to to, to go through some of this thing, some of the things that we nerded out on prior to the show. So, but before we do, let's do a real quick revenue rundown so everybody understands what stage of the journey. Linear B is at. I know I mentioned Series B in the, the show, but where are you guys at in terms of your ARR? Um, so we're a private company. We won't uh, get into like uh, you know all the specific details, but we're um, uh, we went we grow from a couple of hundreds of AR in twenty twenty one. We grow like six uh, x, then we grow three x. In 2022, I'm sure people can do like the math more or less. And we're uh, uh, projecting to grow 2x more or even more than that this year. Okay, excellent. Uh, yeah. So you're, you're, you're growing pretty fast in multiples year over year. Love that. What's your primary go-to-market strategy for growing the company? Yeah, so um, it took us some time to understand exactly uh, that. But in this... Um, I would say that in um, we took our time growing in the mid market, mm -hmm. focused on that segment uh, for a long time, uh, and weren't tempted to go after enterprise customers. Uh, I'll explain. So uh, those mid market customers, we acquired them in two ways. They either came to us like in a very very all you know, top down way, saying, "Hey, we want to trial the product." A product is is a great product. It's, uh, we're, we're product folks. Both of us have product DNA. Uh, both the founders, so it, it, it's you demo it, you trial it, you want to you want to buy it. So part of it was coming like that, and part of it was coming from a bottom up, like hey, uh, stay in our free tier, which was uh, um, up to like eight. Look, it's it's limited in not in terms of feature, but in terms of like you know the amount of people that can use it. And all of them got into the, like this flywheel of some of them wanted to try it immediately, some of them like were were nurtured over time. And we stay there in the mid market because it's a high velocity, like uh, uh, high velocity, like end to end, like a sell cycle. Um, and it, it was it was 
great because, you know, the, the ASP grew still in the same velocity, like still, you know, end to end, 30 days. Um, and, 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 and it grew dramatically like the ASP there. Uh, three, four quarters ago, we kind of understood, okay, now we're ready to go up market and we're like ready to go like commercial and enterprise. Um, and, you know, we built, of course, the product capabilities for that, the go-to-market functions for that, everything. Uh, and we believe that's the right journey. It, uh, we're operating in a field called, we call it software delivery management. It's kind of new, still not a f- full commodity. I think it's crossing the chasm right now into, you know, early majority and like a significant portion of our market are trying to, are starting to use it. So that's our, that was our strategy to stay, make sure it's sticky, make sure, you know, in the, in the, with the mid-market customers, that's how you can do it. Like make sure it's being used, then scale it up to the enterprise, of course, with enterprise capabilities or best access. So, so all of that and brought great go-to-market team to support it. And now uh, it, it, it's so fun to see like, you know, the bigger deals flowing in. So I hope it kind of answers about like our strategy. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it does. So are you using predominantly outbound event led growth or like what's your penetration strategy? Yeah, I would say we're using, we're doing a lot of, uh, um, uh, we invested a lot of our, in, uh, webinars and we have a great podcast called Dev Interrupted for engineering leaders. We do a lot of like, uh, things when we talk about like the, the industry and what we should be thinking, how, how people should be thinking about it, or at least, and we bring a lot of guests, you know, around it that creates like, um, um, great interest, um, some of of the of our prospects are discovering us using like a free tool, and then they get into this si- system where we like uh, uh, nurture them. So I would say like eighty percent of it is um, they're knocking on our door somehow, you know, and then twenty percent is like outbound. Uh, wow, it's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So that's good that you're you're uh, materializing that. I love doing the podcasts and it, the the webinar model is interesting as well. Uh, and there's still good use cases for it, right? If it's done effectively. How, how large is your team right now? We're uh, 100 people in the company, and like, mm-hmm. and we're, uh, you know, my founder lives in Santa Monica, like, or now by we're moving to the East Coast, but anyway, in the U.S., I'm living in Tel Aviv, and and we're literally 50 50, 50 people more or less in Tel Aviv, and 50 people more or less like around like the U.S. Oh, cool. Yeah. And how did you guys meet? Like, that's kind of an unusual story where you're so geographically separated at the, the co-founder level. Like, how did you initially meet? And then how did that kind of happen? Yeah, uh, great question. So we worked together in a previous company. We met in, in a previous company that where we worked, a company called CloudLock that was acquired by Cisco. Both of us are coming from R&D background. So the the fun the, the great thing with working with Dan, who's my partner, is like that. Uh, uh, originally, he was reporting to me, so I was I was like the VP of R and D, and he was director. Um, and then at one point, I kind of like moved to a more CTO type role, and you know, the, I told, hey, you know, who's the natural candidate to take the R and D? It's Dan. So he moved like to be like in my previous role. And it, I wasn't reporting to him, but I needed him more. Like I, I needed resources for me. I needed people for me. So we worked in all these permutations, again, a lot of like mutual respect to one another and this like, you know, mm-hmm. high level of trust. So when I called him and I say, hey, let's start something together, it was very natural. 
Um, and that's how we, we, we get over a lot of challenges, even when we're far away. And even when COVID was, you know, at its prime and we were like, cause we meet every quarter, but then there was like a part in time where like 10 or 11 months, we couldn't like meet face to face. It was so, so crucial to have this level of trust between each other. Oh, yeah. um, uh, and I think that's like the, one of the key factors for success. For us. But definitely. I mean, I think try that. I mean, a lot of, a lot of co-founders struggle with that is the, the trust factor. And that's why it doesn't work out. You know, scaling a marriage, it is marriage. Like so, <laughs> uh, being a co-founder with someone sometimes is more intense than a marriage, right? From what I hear and, and I don't have a co-founder currently, but that's, what's been shared with me. You know what I mean? So. Uh, absolutely. I already, like, yeah, I already like, yeah. You go through all the phases. It's it's very much like marriage. You go through a lot of similar phases, and you gotta exactly like a marriage. I'm married, but like with two kids, you gotta work on the relationship. Continue <laughs> to work, even if you have trust for ten years. You gotta continue to work on the relationship. It's true, man. It's very true. So, walk us through your solution in like two or three sentences, just so you, the listener, has an understanding of like the context of it. Yeah. So basically, it's gonna be the software delivery management platform. And in simple word, what it means is that uh, we help engineering teams uh, measure themselves. You know, engineering was the last team that last uh, department in the organization that that was kind of like a black box that can't be measured. There's a lot of academic research that now says, okay, here are the key KPIs that uh, you can measure. And we call it, uh, we call like our, our philosophy of our product or our platform is we help, you know, the engineering leaders um, kind of like rule their dual mandate. And their dual mandate is kind of like, uh, on one hand, the engineering leaders need to uh, speak internally, measure internal things, the developer experience, um, some key KPIs internal that engineers understand, uh, even though we all, we, I keep saying we because I see myself as a developer still. We don't like it, but we understand that we have to now measure as developers. And there's the other side of the FinOps of the engineering, which is super relevant to, uh, in, in general in these days because there's a lot of like uh, pressure coming in from you know CEOs, CFOs. Hey, we gotta understand where are we investing, how much we're investing. Uh, so, Linear B, the, the software delivery management helps like uh, do both of the things. We we take it even one step further because we believe once you spotted problems, uh, you just it's not enough to look at them. So we give like a platform where you can program your workflows and how you solve them. We don't, don't need to get that level of technica technicality, but uh, that's our differentiator. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, that's, that's great because everybody's trying to improve profitability right now. And as I don't know if this has hit you, but some of the tax changes with developers as well, you know, being allocated as R and D versus, you able to write it off, like, has that had a big impact on your business? Actually, that took effect earlier this year. I, I wouldn't say big impact, but that's part of what I said, like, like the FinOps side of, of, of engineering, right? So how you, like the investment and what do you classify as research, et cetera. So we empower like teams, the engineering leaders on, on, on that side as well. When people use our product, it improves that relationship between like the CTO, SVP of engineering to the CFO, or uh, which I can, I can speak a lot. We can just do an episode of how that relationship evolved because I was a, twice a VP of engineering in my past. But uh, yeah, so it also helps with that. <laughs> I can imagine. Well, <clears throat> let's let's walk us through. Like you've had 
rapid, rapid growth. Now I know, I know you're backed with funding and that always helps obviously to have cash to, to be able to fuel that growth. However, like what would you say is, is the biggest reason that you've been able to grow so fast? And, and then like, what did you do tactically to, to make that a reality? I think uh, there's one side of me that says like we we were in the right timing solving a problem the problem that existed by the way for a long time but it, it, uh, us and probably other companies other competitors saw it in the right timing of hey it's not there's now an opportunity to kind of like open that black box measure like the pro- like uh, the efficiency of of engineering teams. So I think the, the fact that we started in the right timing was a good start. Um, I think um, the, uh, it's a big, big advantage for us, uh, Lina B, that we're both with strong, strong product DNA and lived those, mm-hmm. we, we lived that pain and those problems for, I lived them for 20 years. Um, and then when, when you take that and you apply, uh, I'm not a go-to-market expert, by no means, but I think like if you apply good, you surround yourself by good pe- by good people that you can learn from, and you apply good common sense on how uh, to penetrate a market, how to keep iterate when something is not working. Have this strong connection between product to uh, the go to market strategy. Um, mm-hmm. That's like the key factor to success. Uh, I can give an example. Like when we started in, in 2019, we had. Uh, Really quickly, we got like 15 customers, like the design partners, they were happy with the product. They were logging in, loving the product. Uh, but what we saw, we said, hey, like we, we're seeing like the maybe head of engineering using the product, logging in once a week, looking at dashboards, identifying problems. But uh, we kind of said, hey, like that's not, like if we really want like uh, um, people to like engineering teams to improve, we got to make sure to democratize the data, like release it, make sure it's like available to other engineering managers, to squads, to, so they can see where they have bottlenecks as well. So on the product side, we kind of say, hey, what kind of use cases we can give to those personas? On the go-to-market side, we said, let's give it for free for a squad of eight people because um, we're doing a good thing. And also in a very, you know, uh, uh, thing that serves us, it, it got us like a lot of momentum because we got a lot of like free uh, support of people who are interested in our platform. It accelerated the, you know, our learning cycles um, and, and it created demand because people were coming on the field and say, oh, okay, I want it for my entire team. So I think that's one example, but that dance of back and forth between like, product capabilities to go to market strategies. Um, I think that's like what helped us like to scale. Okay. Yeah. I, I think obviously that gets it. That makes it a lot easier if you have an amazing product. Right. So that doesn't hurt. Like, I guess like one of the things that, I, that I'm thinking about is like when you first start, right. And you're trying to value the go to market fit with a business and, and grow it, you know, there's an abundance of options, right? Just tons of different options you could choose, tons of different markets you could pursue and and then there's like a fine line between being stubborn and pushing through the uh, the shit sandwich, if you will, that you have to eat to to make it a reality versus like leaning into to something that's working really easily. So like, what's kind of like your formula or your codex for like understanding like 
when to push through or when to pivot, right? Because that's that's hard for a lot of people to understand and deconstruct. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to... Great question, because I'm trying to think of um, examples. Uh, you got to be persistent, and then persistent can really easily run, become into stubbornness and go like hit, like hit a wall or something. So nobody tells you, hey, when you're like crossing that uh, threshold. Uh, so I think it's uh, the formula is like a... Uh, release something, listen to your customers. Uh, that's a, it's almost like if I have to analyze the first two years, is, it was that. Release things, listen to your customers, iterate, fix, fix things. Not by the um, you know, opinion of one customer. Here is another cool, here's a, here's another cool thing. And I don't know if it was intentional or, or, or luck or, whatever, or intuition, but... The fact that we didn't go after enterprises from the beginning, uh, we just got the fact that you had like a, a big data set of, of customers, mm-hmm. let's say in the first year, 15, and then grow to like even 30, 40, or, or even more than that, 45, I think, um, gave us like a good perspective on, of like maybe one customer said that, but here's a cohort of like 30 where are saying, hey, I need this. So right. I think that helps a lot. So if you get to a big number of customers and a big data set quickly to give you feedback, that helps like to understand, hey, am I stubborn here or no? Like, okay, this is a big enough cohort of, of data coming to my way saying, hey, this feature is being loved and this feature is not being used. So that's one thing um, I think that is really important. And again, what we learned, because we both come from R&D background, what we learned, I think, very good in the... In year three, four, when you have to scale a go-to-market, is like, okay, how do you overlay this with a good go-to-market strategy as well? Okay, right. how does the, yeah. the features that I have right now, yeah, they serve good, like, mid-market. So, okay, let's stay there. Um, it was enough for me to go to have, like, two or big, two big uh, enterprise customers that dragged us through, like, five or six months of procurement just to get on a trial and say, okay, I get it, like, We'll get to you, but give us like two more years, like or eighteen more months, like to work and 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 learn more and close more deals on, on the mid market. And that's something I, I didn't know coming into this business. I just learned it, and so again, to me, that I hope it answers. That's like kind of like my long answer. Yeah, no, it's kind of your approach. That makes sense. I think it's like it's it's like do you run lots of tests then? Like at, early on, did you run lots of tests in terms of like not on the product side, but let's say on the go to market side to match. The product, like, okay, we're gonna try these three channels, and we're gonna evaluate them for two months, and then we're gonna take it from there. Or, or how did you kind of like frame it up or look at it? Yeah, so on the product side, it's easy to answer. There's, of course, we ran a lot, a lot of tests um, on the go-to-market side. It was um, what we, I would say, like what we identified really fast. Is there's a there's a big vacuum. It's a new space, and engineering leaders um, they're lonely. It's not like when you're a developer, you have like tons of conferences and resources. It's a very lonely mm-hmm. job. I even wrote a blog once that it's lonelier than being a CEO because oh, wow. as a CEO, you have like peers of this and VP engineering, you got you have like your uh uh you know inter- people that you speak that you the people that report to you and and you gotta speak the engineering language, and then you sit. You got to sit at the table with the business people. They speak almost a different language. So you got to be able to translate it. Uh, 
So I think what we identified really fast and we experimented there is like, how do we reach them, talk to them about the problem? So we did a lot of like, uh, you know, uh, um, thought leadership content in blogs, a lot of that. So how, and kind of examine that channel, how, how much demand that drives. Then we had people who were passionate, like starting a podcast. So we started a podcast. See, uh, we saw how, so we did a lot of experimentation um, around like what drives demand here. Um, and again, the product was good. So it was more, it's still from the day one, it was get people to try it. Uh, that was, that, that's our main challenge or was our main challenge. How do we get people to try it at a large enough scale? So yeah, we definitely iterated on, Hey, does the thought leadership content work? Does is the podcast working? Is giving the product for free working? Which one of those channels are working better? And again, we have data driven like uh, DNA. So we were like all about looking on all the channels, seeing what's working, doing more of that. Well, so, and that you got me thinking as well. I know you mentioned your go-to-market was a lot of webinars at the beginning as well. Like, did you leverage a partner strategy to get access to other people's audiences or did you just do those as kind of standalone on your own? We did it, like the webinars were standalone. The Dev Interrupted podcast, which is our podcast, uh, we did small partnership at the beginning. But here's the thing, like, again, because it was such a vacuum, there was yeah. almost nothing for engineering leaders. It was a lot, a lot for engineers. Um, really quickly, in three or six months, it's flipped into people, like from we're chasing speakers to the best companies in the world coming and wanting to speak at our podcast. And that's, um. I, think, I think it's identifying then that need of people to kind of speak on this problem. And I also think my partner, all the compliments to him, my co-founder, Dan, did an amazing job. He's such a great listener and a facilitator and a great podcast also. It created this uh, great, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, avenue or channel where people wanted to come and talk and, and be on that. Definitely. Hello, this is Ryan here. Real quick, if you are enjoying this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a comment or review. If you want more help or just want to learn more about what the top SaaS CEOs and founders are doing, check out my website at www.ryanstaley.io. Join my newsletter, check out other free content resources I have there, and let me know if you want to scale your business. Now back to the episode. So let's shift gears a little bit. So it, it sounds like, I mean, obviously you're doing an amazing job. What are some of the biggest challenges you run into now currently um, to hit your next phase of growth? Like what, what are like roadblocks or the biggest barriers that, that you see? Yeah, I think it's, um, it's about, you know, the market change from, um, and we were never in the camp of like, let's grow at all costs, but it, uh, it kind of changed from some of the atmosphere outside was, hey, take, don't worry, take uh, capital and grow, grow, grow. And we were always we're conservatives in our, in our uh, and we even had people giving us advice, hey, you're too conservative, take, take more and grow. To, okay, how do you grow efficiently now? So I think the challenge of a lot of companies in our phase going from, you know, 
a Series B and now in a year from now, a Series C to um, to kind of like understand, you know how mm-hmm. in, from C to A, it's like, hey, prove that you have something and you just know how to sell it to one or you know, one or 10 customers. And then from A, see that you have a repeating. From B to C, okay, in specifically in this economy, it's like, how do you scale efficiently? So just getting into the mindset, it's not simple. It's like, how do you do this transition? Sometimes we were lucky again because we were conservative. It's lack and intuition, I think. So we didn't have like you know three three hundred people in the company. We had we have uh, one hundred people in the company, and so we didn't have to do layouts. It's more about okay, let's let's control now the the pace in which we grow in terms of like grow fast and then lay out people because then it changes the momentum of of the company. So I think challenge number one. Scale efficiently. Don't don't stop looking on your ARR bottom line, but also okay, other very important parameters in in, in growth. And, you know the um, cost of acquisition, um, etc. Um, retention patterns, etc. So I think it, that's number one. And yeah, number two is like um, growing from. It's different both in engineering and in sales and in marketing, when you have teams in sales of like, uh, you know, 25 people and now growing into 50. Just need right. to grow strong management layer across the company, uh, the communication patterns uh, when you're 100 and if you want to go to 150 are different. So those are like the challenges that I see. How do we keep the same level of strong execution? And, and just continue to grow the company. It's, it's a communication and, and methodology, like, and, and how do you scale it? Well, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a big jump always is, is having that, that cost-efficient CAC and then just continuing to improve retention as well and, and NRR. So I see that a lot. And, and so we're, unfortunately, we're just almost up on time. But one question I wanted to ask you, which, which I'm bummed we didn't get to talk about, but I was fascinated about some of the other things that they were hitting is like, what are like some of your favorite use cases with AI, both, let's say both on the product side and then on the productivity side? We'd love to hear your perspective on both. Yeah. So I, I can speak about, you know, what we're doing and, and my thoughts. I think again, in our space, uh, it's really interesting to see Copilot and a lot of people trying to, to help write code and generate code. And there's a lot of, uh, and I think the role of developers is changing. I don't think it's replacing developers, but it's more like um, instead of them focusing on, on generating the code, it's about um, the points that in the development pipeline that they need to kind of like... Uh, uh, um, be a part of uh, and 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 kind of examining and review the code and enhance it and enrich it, etc. Um, so we said to ourselves, hey, like there's always or, already like tons of company like kind of like in that space of like how do the code is being generated and Linear B is in a great position to kind of like look and what's happening in the further down uh, the stream downstream in terms of like. How does the review process look like? Uh, continuous integration, continuous deployment, all of that, and the, and these there are points that sometimes you need to apply a apply a human factor, and sometimes you know, you can still automate. So it's really interesting, and we have a great position to kind of like uh, uh, be the one that can help orchestrate all of that and not compete with people who are trying to generate the code better. That there's enough people like focusing on that. So that's my that's how Linear B involved, but. Specifically, how what I love 
uh, about it is like um, we're doing some cool stuff internally uh, with uh, Gen AI. So we're doing, uh, uh, for example, our, our product is very easy to use, but it is technical. So there are questions. So sales reps can ask questions. And it used to be that they're coming into a Slack channel or something and they're asking, hey, uh, um, how do we solve this problem? How does our product help to solve this problem? And they used to have to wait. And remember, we, I told you, like, we're in Tel Aviv and uh, in U.S., you know what happens in, like, if they ask it on a Thursday, 4 p.m. their time, it's already a weekend. Israel works Sunday to Thursday. So now there's a, a Gen AI bot because we kind of, that kind of learned our help docs that answers them immediately. And they don't have to wait for a human, like, from product side, like, to kind of answer that with something we built internally. Um, also around security questionnaires, we built something internally. So we built a lot of small apps that improve our internal productivity just to make, to make sure that you go, I don't know, like 3x, 5x faster on those things. Um, and there's a lot of cool things we can do in the product. Like, you know, um, and uh, we'll get to that in the right timing. Excellent, man. Well, I'm, I'm excited for you, excited what you're doing, uh, excited for your growth. So where can people find you? Where can they find out more about Linear B? And then we'll wrap this up. Yeah, me specifically um, uh, on LinkedIn and Twitter. Those are the places I am more on LinkedIn. Um, and Linear B, of course, everybody can go to linearb.io. If you are a, like engineering leader, ask for a demo, see a demo, try the product for free. If, if you're more of a practitioner, we have like a cool product called Gitstream that help people like, you know, write rules on how to accelerate some of the things we talked about. Um, yeah. Excellent, man. Well, or it was a pleasure having you on the show. It was a lot of fun. Uh, loved your perspective. Loved just how, how authentic you were in terms of the journey and, and what you had to go through to, to make it happen. So thanks for being on. Thanks for having me. It was great. Yeah, it was fun. And uh, I will see you on the next episode. Thank you for checking out The Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.